0: Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people. Bless our time together, and I ask for your Holy Spirit to lead my mouth and to open our ears, that we may leave here knowing you that much more we thank you and we love you in your son's name we pray amen last week we started on psalm 73 and i love psalm 73 because it shows the inner thoughts of a man of god and it's not always going to be thoughts of faith it's not always going to be yes i trust god asaph shared his doubts he shared what was going on and he did not understand why the wicked seem to prosper, why they seem to have it good when God's people suffer. When you look at the uh, Houston Adventist Academy, when their uh, school, elementary school was destroyed, to this day, they still don't have a new building, they don't have a solution. And the question I ask is why? Why, Lord, when your people need things? And that's what Asaph was asking. And these key verses from, the sermon, were the first one. He said, but as for me, as he wondered why the wicked prosper, he said, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He almost gave up on God because he saw the prosperity of the wicked, that they have nothing go wrong with them. When you look at the music industry and how they glorify the devil and yet decide to praise God when they receive their awards. When we look at people like Hugh Hefner promoting immorality, and while missionary babies die, when Madonna has healthy children and my friend's child dies an hour after birth, you, you wonder why the psalmist was wondering, is it worth it to even follow God? But we concluded that sermon with this statement here found in Psalm 73, 17. He said, he had all these doubts, his feet almost stumbled, until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. And today we begin that journey. What was it that the psalmist saw in the sanctuary? What was it that relieved his doubts? What was it that made him stay firm on the rock of Jesus Christ? What was it that kept his feet from stumbling? What did he see in the sanctuary that kept him on the straight and narrow? That kept him faithful to God? And what is it in the sanctuary that there is for us to keep us on the straight and narrow, to keep us faithful to God? The psalmist didn't have answers to the questions that perplexed him until he went in to the sanctuary of God. And I invite you to travel with me in these next three weeks because many people today are asking the question, is it worth it to follow God? And we've been warned in the Bible because iniquity will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Men's hearts failing them for fear. And the question many people are asking is it worth it to follow God? God asked Moses to build a sanctuary. And the reason given in Exodus 25 8, we're not going to look at this one. But is the verse says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I might dwell among them and I love this picture of the sanctuary many times when you look at pictures of the sanctuaries during the daytime but picture use your imagination your vivid imagination and think of what that must have looked like at night in the desert right the mountains are on the outside and they are on the plains and at night they could see the pillar of fire knowing and my wife asked me a great question yesterday as I was rehearsing the sermon she asked how could you even begin to doubt God when you see this at night every night when you look back at your own life and you see all the blessings of how he has guided you how could you begin to doubt God I know when it comes to finances when I was studying for theology I had a lot of New York City debt now I'm making waiter Olive Garden income in Tennessee and I remember having a what I call a spontaneous moment of faith and I said God you know I'm going into the ministry ministry doesn't pay that well compared to what I was doing in New York City I need a sign from you that you're going to take care of my finances I had one table left a mother a father and two little kids and I said Lord and this came out spontaneous I didn't think Think about it. I said, Lord, let this last table leave me a $40 tip. Their bill was only like 35 bucks. When I get back to the table, there was a $20 bill and $20 on the credit card. I've never worried about my finances since. God has taken care. And so when I, when I have moments of doubt, I look back at those anchor moments like they could have looked at that pillar of fire and know that God is dwelling Among them, and it's beautiful, right? But there's a error in this picture. Anybody know what the error is? Alright, don't answer. Don't worry about it. Most people don't know, and I'll show you in the next picture. No, in two pictures. But there's an error in this picture, and it makes a difference. Oh, sorry, I turned it off. Okay. There we go. It is here in the next picture. When the sanctuary, God wanted to dwell among them. And there was, by the way, during the day, a pillar of uh, a cloud, sorry, to, to cover them, to give them shade in at night, the pillar of fire. But when the sanctuary, the error was that the tents weren't really that close. Anybody know how long it was from here, from the closest to the middle? It was a half a mile. It was a half a mile because the Levites who took care of the temple were in the inner and they were closer. But the people were half a mile away. Now, that was the closest. Could you imagine if your tent was back here? Pretty long walk, right? And so what is it in the sanctuary, right? What is it that the psalmist saw? And so before we dive into that, let's look at the sanctuary. Here's what you have in the sanctuary. You have the outer court, right? The outer court that we saw. Then you have the altar in the court, right? There was a curtain here. You have the altar of burnt offering. You have the bronze laver where they washed themselves before they partook of uh, the sacrifices. Then you have the table of showbread. Then you have the golden lampstand. Then you have the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant where the Shekinah glory... Where Moses would meet and talk with God himself and what's interesting is that the directions are given south north west and east because every time they set the sanctuary down after they got up and moved they would set it in this direction The entrance was always on the east side and the throne of grace the Ark of the Covenant Was always on the west side. It was always this way and we'll learn in a couple of weeks why that was so important. But this is what it looked like. And so the psalmist is looking in here and and if we're honest with ourselves, this is just furniture. I mean what did he see that, that made him stay faithful to God, right? What was it about this furniture? What was it about what he was seeing? And what's beauty, is the beauty of it is that it has significance way beyond the furniture. Because remember, God asked them to build this sanctuary that he may dwell among them. Our God is not a distant God. Our God is not a God who set this world like a clock and let it go by itself. Our God wants to be intimate with you. He wants intimacy with you. In fact, we're told that the Holy Spirit dwells. In you, when we've accepted God. And so, God wants this intimacy with you. And so, you have the court, you have the holy place, and the most holy place. This is what the psalmist said, saw, but we have to make sense of it. We have to see exactly what caught his attention and what we'll grasped it. But there's also this the earthly sanctuary actually represents something. And I use this picture to symbolize it, but if you go to Hebrews 9, 23 and 24, we're not going to go there, but you could jot it down for your reading. I'll read the verse. It says, therefore, right? He makes a whole argument in chapter 9. You can go there if you want. I'll read it. He, he, he says, therefore, it was necessary for the copies of things in heaven to be cleansed with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, he's saying, look, there was an earthly sanctuary and it needed the blood of bulls and goats. But there is an earthly, there's a heavenly sanctuary that was cleansed with something better and that was the life of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 24, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself not to appear in the presence of God for us. The blood, the life, the merit of Jesus Christ, He takes that and when you have accepted Him, He takes that to the throne of grace. And whatever you need, whatever you lack, whatever you desire, when we take it in the name of Christ, He is there presenting it to God the Father. In in other words, if you remember First grade, second grade class, I don't know if they still do show-and-tell. Do they do show-and-tell in school? Right? I remember, right? Show-and-tell. The sanctuary is a show-and-tell of the plan of salvation. Right? It is God's way to illustrate how you and I are saved, how you and I are different than those who have chosen this world. Remember, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we live our lives here, we study here, we work here, we go to school here, we teach here, we preach here, but we are not of this world, for I have a home in glory with my name on it, and the names of my wife and my children that I'll shine to the sun. I believe in that by faith. And so the sanctuary is a show and tell of the plan of salvation. It illustrates the gospel in a form that you and I can see and can recognize. In fact, the sanctuary, here I do want you all to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 40. The book of Exodus chapter 40. Because the sanctuary, as I keep saying, is an illustration of the plan of salvation. It's a show and tell. God is showing them, before Christ arrives on the scene, what the plan of salvation will entail. And the psalmist saw this as he goes into the sanctuary. So we'll pick up the story in verse 30. But let me give you a background, right? Moses has been commissioned to build this sanctuary and to build it from the offerings of the free will offerings of the people. But something I like to mention is that did slaves have money? No. How many rich slaves do you know? So where did they get the money? Because before they left Egypt, God had commanded them to ask the Egyptians for money. And the Egyptians said, here, take it all, just get away from us. We don't want these 10 plagues, take it all. And they had, God provided the resources. So in an essence, it was pagan money that built the sanctuary. Why? Because this world belongs to God. He owns the cows on the hills and he owns the hills as well. All belongs to him. Remember, because God gives the sun to the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. All the money in the world belongs to God and each person will hold themselves accountable to God for the use of their money. And here it was slave money that built the sanctuary of God. And so now the sanctuary is built. Moses has told the people, no more offerings, it is done. We pick up the story in verse 30. He says, he placed the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Verse 31, For it Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet, and when they entered the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed just as the Lord had commanded them. Verse 33, He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Who finished the work? Moses. But now we'll show you who started the illustration of the plan of salvation. Verse 34, because we're saved by grace. It is God working in us and through us. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Who inaugurated the temple? The Lord himself. The glory of the Lord inaugurated the temple. And from that day forward, it illustrated the plan of salvation. It illustrated what the psalmist saw and what brought comfort to his stumbling ways. When he almost lost his way, he looked into the sanctuary and he remembered that it began with the glory of the Lord. Whenever you're going through a tough time, whenever you feel like giving up, look. At the glory of the Lord which is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why I love that song when it says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim because this world doesn't have enough glory for me to live for it and lose out on heaven. And so the plan of salvation, this illustration, this show and tell tell started with the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Filling it up, inaugurating it, blessing it, giving its divine blessing so it can show the Israelites what it meant. And Adventist contribution to the Reformation is not the Sabbath. We were given the Sabbath by Seventh-day Baptists. It's not the state of the dead. We were given... That to us by another denomination. Our contribution to the Reformation. That puts a capstone on that Reformation. And leads us to point to the soon second coming of Jesus Christ. Is none other than a revitalization of the sanctuary message. So important that the psalmist said he saw the end of the wicked. In the sanctuary of God. There were five offerings that were offered at this in this altar and they're found in the book of Leviticus. We're going to look at one, but there were the burnt offering which we will look at. There were the grain offering, the peace offering, let's go to Leviticus 1, the sin offering and the guilt offering. These all have their different significance. The burnt offering, the purpose to make a payment for sins in general, it was a volunteer offering. You brought it because you felt that the, 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 you needed repentance for your sins. There was the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2, also voluntary, to show honor and respect to God in worship. The peace offering, to express gratitude, it was also voluntary. The sin offering was required to make payment for unintentional neglect Sin of uncleanliness or thoughtlessness. And then in chapter 5 of Leviticus, the guilt offering. To make payment for sin against God and others. A sacrifice was made to God and the injured person was repaid or compensated. These all represent Christ, by the way. But we're going to look at just one, the burnt offering. And I want you to start in chapter 1, verse 4. Now I want to bring this up here. Remember this. Ready? I'm going to put my wife and I on, pick up my wife and I, and we are living in this back corner right here. This is our tent, surrounded by the tent of Deborah, Arlene, Sandy, Steve, and other Woodlands Church members, since I'm the pastor. And if you've ever been camping, you know those tents are real thick and soundproof. And you hear the night before my wife and I have a heated argument I mean it gets nasty we've never had one of those praise the Lord but it gets nasty the pastor says things no pastor should say let alone a husband and everybody's on their tent door listening and wondering should I go in and say something stop this is he gonna kill her Everybody's wondering what's going on. The next morning, I wake up full of remorse and genuine repentance. And I take my lamb, and I begin to walk. Come out my door, and I begin to walk. Deborah, Arlene, Sandy, Steve, they're all at their tent. And they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. you need that walk. And I begin that walk, that long journey. Remember how, how long was from here to there? Half mile. Half mile. So you can imagine, I'm at least another quarter mile away. Because this is all the people of Israel. And I, and, I, and I strongly believe that the reason the Lord had me walk that long distance. I had the people. Because if it was a short walk, there's no time to reflect. There's no time... To ponder. There's no time for remorse. There's no time to, to, to let go and be sure of what you're doing. Because in essence, having all these church members hear our argument, and I'm walking with that lamb. I realize, and they realize, he's not going to take that walk unless he really means it. Because you're not bringing a false offering to the tent. And so I'm walking there, repentant taking this long walk, half a mile from here, let alone from back here. And verse four says this, and a lot of people don't know this, but verse four says this, he, who's the he here? It's me, not the priest. He shall lay his hand on the burnt offering that he may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. So what am I doing, right? There's this little lamp unblemished, and I have my hands on it, on its head. The symbolism is that I am repenting, asking forgiveness for my sins, and they're being transferred to the lamb that will be sacrificed. I have to do this because it was you and it was me that crucified our Lord. It was you and me and it was our sins that put them on that cross. No one can repent for you, no one can ask forgiveness for you. You have to. And so there, and here's the part people don't know. As I am confessing my sins and asking forgiveness of God and my wife and asking forgiveness to Deborah and the company around because I have embarrassed the ministry. Look at verse 5. He, who's the he? Me. Shall slay the young bull before the Lord. And so... To to, to bring the enormity of sin to the individual. There I am laying my hands, confessing with the throat of the lamb exposed, and I have to slay the lamb. Not the priest. Because it was your sins and my sins that crucified our Lord. And so you can imagine I, I get squeamish stepping on a roach. Can you imagine having to slay the lamb yourself? I praise God that we live post the cross. That the lamb of God has been slain for the fond- since the foundation of the world. And that he has taken your sins. And all we have to do is confess our sins. Because 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and able to forgive us of our sins. Can you imagine? Having to slay the lamb yourself. And then the Bible tells us, Then Aaron, Aaron's sons of priests shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Right? It's then, right? You're here inside slaying the lamb. And then they offer it on the altar. What does this mean? No matter how good your life is right now, no matter how good of a citizen you believe yourself to be, and whether you're the pastor or the head elder or a newborn Christian, let us never forget that it was our sins that put the Lamb of God on the cross. Notice, it was the individual that did the slaying, not the priest. And this sacrifice, listen, this sacrifice began the demarcation between whom those the sanctuary is their hope and to those who the sanctuary is their end. I want to talk to the young people here for a moment. Even the little kids, first to second grade. But this applies to the adults as well. When you start school, especially when you're a freshman, let's say in high school, you don't know anybody. You're new. You may know a new few people, but you don't know the building. You don't know your way around you and another freshman start the same starting line you're both the same you're clueless about what the rest of high school and college will bring but you both started and each of you will be making decisions whether it's at a new job a new relationship you'll be making decisions and at the beginning of those decisions there is no difference you can't tell them apart Who's gonna make the right decisions and who's not? When life begins, and unfortunately, let's say if it's a healthy person, because a lot of homeless have mental issues, but let's say it's a healthy person that ends up homeless, you could trace back his life and it's there, he's there at that moment or she's there at that moment because of the choices they have made. And so of course, when you accept Christ at the beginning, There may not be much difference in your life. Who would have thought that the thief on the cross would be saved? Who would have thought that a murderer like like Saul would become the great apostle Paul? At the beginning when you accept Christ, you may look like a porn star. But by the sanctifying power of God, you can be a star for the glory of God. A shining star like Esther so it doesn't matter where you begin it's where your journey takes you and so right now at the burnt offering there are those who take that walk of shame in my illustration I walk that half mile plus knowing that I need something in me to give me the power to be the husband the leader that I need to be because I can't do it in my own strength And yet there are those who refuse to take the walk. I got this. I'll figure it out. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I'm spiritual enough. I'll do it my way. And at the beginning, there is no difference. Your way looks just as good as my way. Picture it this way. Imagine if we had two brand new, let me pick a a generic luxury car. Well, I don't want to say that because I don't want to insult somebody who may have that car. So let me just pick two identical cars. and one has a destination that ends in hope and the other one does not have a destination on their CarPlay or Android, Auto, because we don't use GPS's anymore. And they're both are supposed to go to Baltimore from here. Now do you know that if we both started from here we would get on I-45 at a certain point we would deviate but did you know that if you go from here to Baltimore if you could go on a straight line and you were one degree off one degree is not much right just one degree As a matter of fact if Deborah and I were standing right here and we wanted to get to that chair where she's sitting and we were one degree off we'd probably get to the same chair But by the time you try to get to Baltimore, if I was one degree off, I'd end up in Rhode Island. So it does matter whether you bring and accept Jesus Christ in your life. Are you willing to take that walk with Him? Are you willing? Because you can't do it in your own strength. Turn with me to Genesis 22, verse 8. story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac there's a key phrase that sometimes we overlook or don't emphasize enough in this story verse 8 Abraham said God who God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering my son so the two of them walked on together Can two walk together unless they be agreed? You can't walk with Jesus Christ unless you've agreed with him to follow him wherever he leads. Abraham knew, like the psalmist knew, that God himself will provide the burnt offering. You can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. And this world will tell you in various ways Follow your heart, an army of one. You can do it, just do it. And God says, no, let me do it for you. The world says, do it in your own strength. God says, surrender to my strength. Satan in Isaiah chapter 14 says, I will, I will, I will. Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. The burnt offering was that key to start the engine of the plan of salvation you can have the newest car and the most powerful car but if you do not start that engine you're going nowhere look at 1st kings 1838 1st kings 1838 1st kings Elijah has a great victory over the prophets of Baal. But that victory wasn't consummated or wasn't made clear until verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Think about it. How hot must the fire be, the consumed stone and, 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 and the wood and all that, to leave it in ashes? That's how, right? And sometimes we forget to point out that that represents that Jesus was totally consumed on your behalf and on my behalf. He left nothing at the altar. He left nothing left to give. He gave all of heaven when He died for you. But the thing is, is that He has given you a choice. He's not gonna force you. And the the psalmist saw, oh my Lord, when I look into your sanctuary, I see your divine love, but you're not gonna force me to come into the holy of holies. And next week we'll begin to see in the holy place, examples of how people have been promised the world But without Christ, there is no life. You're dead men walking. You can have everything this world offers, but if you have not life. And even though we all look the same at the beginning, the psalmist saw our hope and their end. God has promised that He would provide, and He has in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one consumed on our behalf. Let's go to Hebrews 10.10. Hebrews 10.10. After all the T's in the New Testament. Hebrews 10.10. And then we'll end back in Leviticus. Hebrews 10. By this we have been sanctified Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ Once and for all That's why when he comes in glory He's not coming to deal with the sin issue As far as salvation When he comes back in glory He's going to deal with the sin issue As in ending it forever and ever and ever And he will take us home Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 1 That last verse before we draw a conclusion. Leviticus chapter 1. Speaking of the burnt offering in verse 9. He says. Its entrails however and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer up in smoke. All of it on the altar for a burnt offering. An offering by fire of a Soothing aroma to the Lord. You know, those of us who are parents, when we see our kids do the right thing for the right reason, it brings us joy. As teachers, I can imagine when you see your kids do the right thing for the right reason, it brings us joy. When God sees, what are we told, right? All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. In our illustration, when the Lord sees Gio taking that long half-mile walk, he's well pleased. When he sees me confess my sins and ask for forgiveness of those who I offended, my wife and the leadership who was watching, he is well pleased. It is like a soothing aroma. You know, sometimes growing up when my mom would, Ken, can you get me a tissue? When my mom would be cooking and I'd be upstairs and I smell her wonderful cooking and I'd come down, mom, what are you making? And she's like, nah, it's just a vegetable, saltane. But it's that, 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 that notion that God is well pleased and it doesn't matter whether you are a, a believer like Daniel who nothing negative is ever said in the Bible or you're like the thief on the cross who came to salvation at the very end. Whenever you surrender your life to Christ, whether as a young person or as an old person, at the beginning of your knowledge or at your deathbed, you are a soothing aroma to our Lord and Savior. When we accept Jesus, the fact that we trust God is a sweet-smelling aroma. When you see kids do the right things, parents are proud, let us accept the sacrifice that was consumed, thank you, that was consumed on our behalf and start the engine to the peace that the psalmist saw. They beat you to it, buddy. Because that peace is not going to come right away, right? The thief on the cross did not have peace. He had the peace that he was going to be saved, but he was still hurting on that cross. So you may not get the peace right away, but if you start that engine, if you start entering, walking into the holy of holies by faith and then into the most holy, you will have a hope and a peace that passes all understanding. Next week we will look at examples of the consequences of the choices we make. All of us have had friends that we grew up together. And they've made choices that have been disastrous for their lives. And God, don't you ever think that God wasn't in every step pleading with them to make the right choice. Because in the GPS illustration, if you veer off the path but you want him again, he will recalculate your path. So I want to end with this illustration known to a lot of people but it's from a movie 20 years ago so I may be dating myself but it was a movie called the matrix and it talked about this alternate universe and it's funny because if you watch that little clip when he extends his hands like this it's almost like film is capturing true spirituality Because he he tells them this about the matrix. He tells them the matrix, you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it. It's all around you, and you don't even know it. And guess what that's like? Because I've used a similar illustration with carbon monoxide. You can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it. But it is deadly, and so is sin. And so the blue pill represents sin. And many people want to ignore Christ, many people want to ignore the Word of God, many people want to ignore the plan of salvation, and they want to live oblivious in the world. And mind you, to to many people, this world has bright lights, big city, it has much to call it. It's enticing, that's why the Bible says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. Like I've said before, sin never comes looking like broccoli. It comes looking like chocolate Sunday ice cream with the cherry on top. It comes enticing. It comes tapping your weakness. And so that's the blue pill. Then he offers him the red pill. And he tells him in the illustration of Alice in Wonderland, Take the red pill and I will promise you truth. And you will see how deep the rabbit hole goes. Well, today, the red pill represents the blood of Jesus Christ. And I offer you truths of the sanctuary, the truth of Jesus Christ in the next two weeks. Take the red pill. Accept them today. Take his blood to cover your sins. And you will see how deep the truth of the sanctuary goes. May God bless us to make the choice because at the beginning of this path when you just first started, as in anything in life, it all looks the same. It doesn't look different, but the psalmist looked into the sanctuary and he saw their end and we see our hope. The two choices will lead us to a place. Where will your choices lead you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. Father, as we looked at the burnt offering that starts the plan, the engine to the plan of salvation, may we all choose the blood of Jesus Christ, for it's no longer about lambs and bulls and offerings, but about the sacrifice that Jesus made. We all want to be in the know, but the know is to know your Son, Jesus Christ. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. May we choose this path. And as we go deeper into the sanctuary, the holy place, and then the most holy place, we will see their end and our hope. My prayer is that everybody today will choose the blood of Jesus. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.